Welcome to Bible study. Very happy to be with you again today and happy to have all the people present here on the panel. And I'd like to introduce them to you first. And uh, I will start from here and next to my right here. Stephen, how are you today? Very well, thank you. Welcome to the Bible study. And Helen, how are you? Great, thanks, Nick. Very glad good. to be here. Len, on the other side. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the program today. Thank you, Len. And Lydia, how are you, Lydia? Hi, everyone. Good, thank you. And today our uh, facilitator is Will Grobler. How are you, Will? And welcome to the program. Fine, thank you. Will, can you take us through this uh, very interesting Bible study? We are going to talk about preparation for the end time. Can you just take us through? Right before uh, Jesus was crucified, in his final hours actually, of his earthly stay, uh, he spoke words of comfort to his disciples. A very well-known text in Scripture It says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, and where I am there you may be also. Of course, the men would have drawn much comfort from this, but they would not have known what was waiting for them in the not-too-distant future. Jesus, uh, just a few days before, had given them a quick survey, as it were, a history of the future, and it wasn't pretty. He spoke of wars and rumors of wars, nation against nation, famines, earthquakes, and all. And he said then that it would be just the beginning of sorrows. Of course, uh, today, if we look back and our vantage point on the flow of history, we can see that everything that Jesus has said has come to pass just as he predicted. So Jesus intimated that uh, these things would happen when we're living at the end of time and we don't know really when the end of time is really going to be, the actual day of his coming, but uh, the answer perhaps could be found if, our, if we try and work out how we must be prepared, the answer may be found in, as he therefore have received Christ the Lord, so walk in him. We can easily get diverted um, and take our focus off Jesus Christ, mm. but we should keep our focus on him mm. in the difficult times in which we are. And so I'd like to ask the question, we talk about cosmic controversy, what you understand by cosmic controversy. There are many people who wonder, where did sin come from? There are all sorts of theories, and some people they recognize that sin exists, but they have no idea where it, where it came from. And I'd just like to give a case in point. We have some very good friends who don't live in Australia, they live in another country, who've been faithful church members for many, many years. And one time when we were visiting together, they said, well, we don't know where sin came from. And we were able to share with them from the the Word of God, which we are sharing with you today, listeners, where sin came from. And that, where sin came from, has been the basis of the great controversy which we're studying today. I think that uh, it's perplexing to us to think of how sin came in in the first place. Surely, if God created a perfect world, how can we explain 
suddenly the introduction of pain and difficulties and jealousy and and sin itself. Uh, anyone on the panel like to comment on that? Sin didn't start on planet Earth. It actually started in heaven. And we'll read some verses in a moment to show that. It started with one of the angels, one of the chief angels whose name was Lucifer. The Bible tells us was kind of proud of himself and at the same time was probably jealous, jealous of God because God was glorified and uh, the angels, the other angels and probably other beings in the universe would glorify God and he thought, well, I would like some of that and he planned a rebellion and eventually he was chucked out of heaven. I think we need to realise that um, Satan's original name was Lucifer and he was a perfect being. And so, you know, Paul actually calls it the mystery of iniquity, doesn't he? I believe. And although it became, began mysteriously in the heart of a perfect being, he brought the rebellion in. He brought the rebellion to earth through the fall of other perfect beings. And the Bible actually gives us an insight into this. Uh, in Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 14, there's this very interesting history and, of course, the explanation, the Bible itself, where sin originated. And uh, one of the panel like to read that, Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 14. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. This bears in line what Len just said, didn't it? He said pride took over, and the middle letter for pride is what? I. I, yeah, I. And if you notice in, in what um, was just read out then, it was all eyes, I, 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 wasn't it? had a serious case of eye disease. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So it's safe for me to assume that God, when he created the universe, uh, that violence and conflict were not part of his plan. He didn't uh, build into creation from the beginning the evil side as a lesson to humans or whatever we might uh, explain. But evil and controversy has arisen separately from the original creation mm. uh, through a being and a perfect being at that. Of course, this raises another question. The question is this. If Lucifer was at one stage a perfect being, how come imperfection was found in him? And uh, Helen said this, referring to the writings of the Apostle Paul, to mystery. We don't know. There is no answer. How come a being that was supposedly perfect became imperfect? We do know that, of course, God created us with a free will, do we not? Yes, and probably that's uh, one of the aspects which we wouldn't be able to necessarily just uh, unveil it here uh, mm. for today. But uh, even as we see today, if we don't have that free will of expression, then we are robots, you know. But uh, even though God never intended 
to face the expression of sin and the uh, development of sin, but because God is an all-knowing God, He has plans in place to deal even with that sort of situation. Well, I I like the word mystery. Um, the more I've been sitting here thinking about what Helen said, the more I like it because, as has been said already, the Bible doesn't really go into the depths of the heart of Lucifer, mm-hmm. as we call him, before he became God's opponent. It It just basically infers that this is what happened and then it leaves us, I guess, with the opportunity to reflect perhaps on how that might happen and I suppose as I think about that I think about yeah we've got free will we've got choice we've got all those sorts of things and then I start to think well what do I do in order that I don't go down that path as much as can be avoided if you know what I'm trying to say here I I don't want to be someone who is disloyal to God I want to be someone who is loyal to him so what steps am I going to put in place to ensure that that my heart is always bent or is bent towards God rather than being bent towards myself all the time. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think yeah. that uh, that is the focus really of uh, the times in which we live is to put our eyes, uh, fix our gaze on, on Christ, uh, even though we, we perceive that around us things are really not well. And uh, the Bible takes up this theme of um, evil and um, Satan's commitment to destroy humankind and uh, the great antidote to sin through Jesus Christ our Lord and his death on Calvary. Lydia, you have a a thought there for us. Yes, it says that evil happened suddenly in the heart of Lucifer. So iniquity was found in his heart. It was said that God has created Lucifer perfect and full of wisdom and placed him in the heavenly Eden, the garden of God which it means that God had established the uh, Lucifer on the holy mountain of God in the heavenly temple where he walked back and forth. His heart was lifted up. He thought that he was a God. And Lucifer had the ambition to sit on the holy mountain and even to become like the most high. It means in the pride of his heart, because He raised his feelings up higher than anybody else, even Jesus. His ambition was to become higher than God. So when pride takes place in the hearts and humbleness disappear, it means a fall is going to occur. Actually, it was really a bit silly of him to come to that conclusion that he could be like God because God was the creator and he was a created being and uh, that just doesn't work. A created being can never be equal to or higher than God. I want to bring another little interesting thing in here. It's probably a little bit of a diversion but did you know that once upon a time they used to call matches Lucifer's? That's right, little Lucifer fire starters, remember those? Yeah, because I guess the fire aspect of it. And that was really looking at the end of Lucifer rather than the beginning of Lucifer. (laughs) Although it says, uh, did we read it in Isaiah? He walked among the fiery stones, but he was an angel who had been given special duties, 
special responsibility, special status, I suppose. We don't really know what that was. But then he thought he could be greater than the Creator, and he worked toward that. That was his downfall, and it's been the downfall of humanity ever since he came here. Of course, Ezekiel chapter 28 um, has a wonderful description, just like uh, the Isaiah 14, of um, who Satan or Lucifer really was. Uh, We won't take time to read that now, but perhaps our listeners can take a look at it sometime. Ezekiel 28 uh, verse from verse 1 on to verse 17. But you know, the first inkling that humans on earth had about uh, this controversy or this jealousy in the heart of a created being in heaven was when they encountered him on earth for the first time. Uh, they might not even have known about what was happening in the, in the councils of heaven. But when they encountered uh, evil for the first time, it was in the Garden of Eden. And uh, it's wonderfully descri- described in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Uh, somebody like to read that for well, us? Well, just before we get on to that, I read the statement, there was war in heaven. Yes. And that struck me as really interesting because we don't think of heaven as being a place of war. Do we? So it was before the Garden of Eden, and uh, we think of heaven just being a perfect place, you know, blissful, peaceful, happy. Uh, but we are told that there was war in heaven. There was war against with Lucifer, and of course with Christ or Michael, as he was called. And the end result was that he was cast out of of heaven, and he came to this earth, and that was when he tempted. Now we'll suggest to listeners that you read uh, Ezekiel chapter twenty-eight. But when you do, you really need to start at verse 11, which says, The word of the Lord came to me, that's Ezekiel, the prophet, and he said, Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre. doesn't say anything about Lucifer there. Against the king of Tyre, and say to him, This is what the sovereign Lord says. And then he goes on and on and on. As you read that, you might say, well, some of the things said here don't apply to a, a king. A king didn't dwell in heaven. A king didn't want to promote himself above God. This particular section of scripture is an allegory. I think that's the right word. An allegory where it says something about someone, but actually applies to someone else. So when you read that for yourself, I don't know if we'll get time to read it today, don't be confused and think, well, this doesn't apply to Lucifer. If you read it carefully, it does. Great. Um, Helen, would you like to read uh, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 7? This is the encounter of um, Adam and Eve with evil. Okay, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, that the Lord had God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God does know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. 
And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. Wouldn't it be right to say that uh, Eve was actually forewarned of uh, a dangerous encounter like this? Yes, she was, and she had the knowledge. She knew. So, actually, she expressed herself the knowledge that she had. But the question is, how come she did it? How come she was pursued to do? And uh, as I know this text for such a long time, but the more I read, the more applies to me that I know the truth. So how come many times I... I've fallen many times. I, I make mistakes. I like what Lydia did then because immediately she took the story and she applied it to herself. Yeah. And I think that's the trick with all these things. Mm. I, I think that's what God wants us to do when we read the Bible, to read the story and then go, so if I was there, like what would I have done? And what's my remedy for all these things? I, I think that's the, the, the most important thing that we can do as we read through these stories. Absolutely. This is not, not just a lesson in history. And in ancient history, it's, uh, it's applicable to our lives today. Len? I think that while Eve had been warned by God not to touch that tree that was in the middle of the garden, she was a bit naive. And it makes me think of when we've been on holidays. And a couple of years ago, we went up to Queensland and we were staying at Moree, enjoying the hot springs at Moree. And that was just great since it was... July, August, and we needed to buy some fuel. And so we went to the fuel station and bought fuel. But there are other places that were a lot cheaper. And I have a little saying for myself, it's the it's the new players who get caught. Yeah. You don't you don't know, you haven't experienced that town and know where the best places to buy this or that are. And I feel that although Eve had been warned she had no experience with sin and deception up till this time. Yes. And I think she was just like, I'm saying, a new player, and she got caught. Yeah, I think you're onto something there, Len. I really do, because um, I've often discussed with friends of mine, how long do you think they might have been in the garden before this event took place? And my impression is that it wouldn't have been very long. Mm. Because my feeling is the longer we spend time with God, the deeper our trust would be in him and our reliance. And so if God says, not a good thing to do, then we go, word to the wise, you know, we don't do that thing. But I think that Adam and Eve, as it were, weren't in that garden for very long before this event would have taken place. And Because I don't think that she has developed, and, and Adam for that matter, because it, says he, it virtually says he was right there with her, right? He, they, they wouldn't have developed that trust and confidence so they wouldn't have been so reliant on the advice that he'd given, if, if that makes any sort of sense. There's a problem following on from this. We who've experienced sin, we know that sin brings about death because that's the punishment for sinning. We haven't learned much because we get caught time and time again, although we know what sin is, we know the yep. origins of it, and we know how it affects us, and we know what happens if we just keep following with it. So as a human race, as an individual, haven't done a very good job. No, 
I'm thinking that we don't know exactly for how long Eve had the conversation with the serpent and also how beautifully the serpent made this conversation with Eve to make it beautiful, to make it extravagant, to make it, maybe I don't have the words to describe that, pursued Eve to accept it from this fruit because she had the knowledge, she knew that God forbid to, to touch and eat from that fruit and she still did it. So it means the persuasion and the temptation of evil, of Satan, in our lives also. Satan is coming into our minds and makes the temptation so attractive, mm -hmm. so irresistible that pursues us also. So we have to be in control in that moment and ask God in our minds, you know, just go to God straight away. Ask him, have a conversation with him before you decide in regard to something. Just thinking that uh, there was a relationship there and Eve must heard uh, the serpent speaking before, probably, you know, because she was not necessarily surprised. surprised. But there was a conversation in between herself and the stranger. In other words, I mean, I'm, I'm contradicting my uh, saying that they have a relationship there. But what I'm trying to say, the stranger in a way that God instructed her what to do. And she's finding herself to find answers from somebody else, mm. which in our case, if we'll uh, make an application today in the Christendom, we do a lot of things and leave God aside because we're thinking that we can run our business better for the time we live in, mm. in the culture we live in, and so on. And we forget that God gave us very good advice, instruction, laws, if you like. Everything to protect us, to keep us safe. But we are deciding, and even today, that's why Len was pointing out that uh, we find ourselves in the same situation like uh, Adam and Eve and so on. Why? Because we are moving away from God. Yeah, I sometimes think, though, with um, Eve here, that in some respect she almost may have thought that she was moving towards God. Because the the, the thing that the serpent says to her is, you won't die. Well, that's a full-on lie because God's already told them that that's what's going to happen if they eat from the fruit of the tree. But then it, the serpent says, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And there's this idea that they want to be like God that is the sucker punch, if that's how you would call it, right? And I think, as I reflect on that, I always think what the serpent offered them, they actually already had. Because in the previous chapter in Genesis, it says that they were made in God's image. So they were, in a sense, already like God. But what the serpent offered them was to be, as it were, more like God, in a mm -hmm. sense. And, and it, was, it was like it was the entreaty that was too hard not to take, if that makes any sense. I, that's just got to be the best option. And, and then she looks and she sees that the fruit is looking very attractive. Mm. It looks like it's going to be really tasty and good for food. And so she goes, and I'm going to be more like God. I'm going for that. Isn't and that typical, though, where, you know, temptation comes? The temptation is not the sin. But the thing is, when, when you linger longer... You linger longer, I like that alliteration there. Which is what she literally did, yeah. and what we do. Oh, yeah. You know, when you linger longer, that's when you are tempted. You know, you are spending time, sorry, spending time listening 
to the yeah. doubts or listening to Satan. And I had a statement here. I just wanted to share it with you. It said, she looked, she talked, she ate, she gave, and like toxic waste spilled into a river, sin swiftly spread. Mm. Yes, mm. that's Sorry, good. Lynn. Yeah. Now we've taken a bit of a quantum leap here. <laughs> when we beginning at the beginning of this discussion, we were talking about the rebellion in heaven, where mm. Satan wanted to be like or above God. The thing is, we haven't actually discussed how come he came down here to Earth, and I think it's important to talk about this because what's happened in heaven. And Satan starts this rebellion, and I believe it was a, a whisper campaign, and probably went something like this to the angels. You know, God wants you to honour and glorify him. But do you realise you've got no choice? There's no alternative? I am the alternative. And obviously he had some success because we read later on, I don't know if we're going to do this just yet, but it'll probably come up, that approximately one-third of the angels in heaven followed Lucifer. Now, here is where you have the war in heaven. There was, it mightn't have been a physical war, but it was certainly a uh, mental and psychological war, and Satan was cast out because you can't have a rebellion in a perfect place and he came here to this earth and that's how Adam and Eve got involved and just to point out one thing what Satan uh, lost in heaven he couldn't become like God he was pursuing the first uh, human beings to do that thing because as we mentioned here he told Eve your eyes will open and you'll be like God yeah. I mean, he lost the thing to be like God, and now he's trying to get somebody else with him along. So we know that Eve had the knowledge, but the knowledge itself wasn't enough to keep Eve and Adam from sinning. So we shouldn't fool ourselves into thinking that knowledge alone is enough to save us now. Yes, we need to know that the Word of God tells us but along with knowing that, we need the kind of surrender in which we will obey what it tells us as well. So it means together with the knowledge, we have to surrender in obedience to the word of God, to commit my life to God out of love and obey his commandments. And yes. together is, is, is working out to keep us from sinning. Knowing and doing are two different things. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought of the words of, James 4:17 Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. Yes, Len. We talk about the serpent and uh, as I understand scriptures Satan was speaking through this serpent. However, in the account that we have in Genesis chapter 3, do you realize he told truth and a lie? in the one statement. Yeah, that's the idea. He said, you shall not surely die, because Eve knew that if she went against the uh, instructions of God, that was a sin, and she would surely die. Satan said, you won't surely die. On the other hand, he said, if you take of this fruit, you will be like God's, knowing both good and 
evil. Eve didn't know what evil was. She'd never experienced evil. So Satan has truth and lies mixed together. And this is why people are deceived, because it's partly true and it's partly false. I think it's time now to take a short break. We were just trying to describe a little bit of what we understand from uh, where uh, sin comes from and what's the impact of sin in our lives even today. But today we're going uh, after the break to look a little bit even more into how important it is to keep the law, the commandments of God, to listen to his advice. But we are going to take a short break right now. Please stay with us. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back just after a bit. Welcome back to our Bible study group time. Just if I could put a little promo in here, 
Um, if you'd like to join a group Bible study rather than just sitting and listening on the radio, then every Saturday morning at Adventist churches all over the country, you can join in with them and they have one, usually starting around about 9.30 on a Saturday morning, although it'll be worthwhile to check out the times because some churches do have different times. Here in Adelaide, there are a number of churches where you could attend, but if I could just point out three of them. Down in the south of Adelaide, there's a, ch- a larger church called Morfitt Vale on Pimpala Road, and they start at 9.30 in the morning. In the city, in the CBD on Angus Street, there is Adelaide City Church, and they also start at 9.30 in the morning. And perhaps towards the north in Paravista, they start at 10, but their Bible discussion starts around about half past 11. And you'd be welcome to join and sort of put some faces to the discussion. Very glad to see you as you come along. Well, our first parents were uh, plunged the world into sin, but um, thinking of Eve, um, she didn't have experience in all in evil, as Lena said. Helen, what do you say about? Well, I I have a question in my mind in the fact that Eve was created perfect, as we know, in the Garden of Eden, and she was tempted and she gave into temptation. And my thought is, well, what hope is there for me? You know, down through these uh, years where there's been degeneration, you know, in society and what have you, is there a hope for me? Is there a way that I can escape when I am tempted? I think, Stephen, we were talking before the break, and you have a great text there. Yeah, it's First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, and it says, Every test that you have experienced is the kind that normally comes to people, but God keeps his promise, and he will not allow you to be tested beyond your power to remain firm. At the time you are put to the test, he will give you the strength to endure it and so provide you a way out. Thank you, Stephen. That's a great promise, isn't it? And again, it comes back to this whole controversy is really about Jesus, isn't it? And our focus on him. And I think that that should be the underlying hope for us all. We can talk about trouble. We can talk about controversy. But uh, the basic question that each one of us needs to ask is, how do I feature in amongst all of this trouble. Where is my help? What hope is there uh, for me? What would you say? Where is the key? The key is the Creator who gave the law, the laws, knowing that Humpty Dumpty, namely humanity, (laughs) couldn't put itself back together again. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't do it, but he could. He stepped down from glory and lived the perfect life in order and solely in order to save people like you and me and all of us. I would like also to say something that even from the beginning, God was interested to have a relationship with his creation. Mm. Now, we lost that thing through sin and God had to come down on this earth to die for us to restore that that thing back and what we need to do now and today is to really have a relationship with God mm-hmm. and that's Jesus Christ and to know as Apostle Paul puts it that's all what I want to know yes Jesus and him only crucified you know because through his death we are restored and we are in a position of having that relationship which we have lost at, at the beginning Romans chapter 8 verse 31 to 39 speaks of our hope in Christ. It says, um, What then shall he say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? 
Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and therefore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. And that's the phrase I'd like to really share, who makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, that's a fantastic text, isn't it? Mm. I love it where it says more than conquerors. Not just conquerors, we are more than conquerors. And um, the text where it says that nothing is able to separate us from the love of God, I've heard people say, oh yes, well, I turn away from him, so that separates. No, there is nothing that will separate us from his love for us. We can choose to turn away, but you know whether we choose him or not, he still loves us. And that's just amazing. He's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You know, the universe is his. And yet he loves me. That's a wonder of it all, isn't it? Yeah, I like that. I like that phrase more than conquerors because of what comes after it. Because it says we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So our conquest isn't in ourselves. Our conquest or our victory in all this area isn't us. It's Jesus. And he did that for us already. Yes. Sometimes think about this with a personal point of view. What merit do I have that God should love me? I've been a rebel. I've turned away from him. I've sinned and I've gone against his will. I don't have any special talents or abilities that he should say, well, this is a good one. I'd like to keep him. I don't have any of those things. In fact, there's every good reason for God to condemn me. Hmm. And that's probably how uh, we think. What merits do we have? But we don't have any merits. And we should even live today not for ourselves only, but first of all, to live for God. And what that means, Jesus Christ said some amazing uh, words when he said, when you've done those things and helping the poor and uh, uh, visiting uh, the sick and all those things you did it to me Mm. which means our role if I can say that on this short period of time on on this sinful earth is to be like Jesus there's another question that pops up here and some people might be wondering well we've been talking about sin but how do you define sin I mean, we have the record in Genesis chapter 3 about where God said, don't eat of that tree. There had to be some opportunity for her to choose right and or wrong. But these days, how do we identify sin? We talk about it, but is there any identifying factor? I believe anything that separates us from God can drag us down that road of sin. If something is not lifting us up to God, it's dragging us down. And then we have the choice which way we're going to go. 
the Bible actually um, speaks about sin as uh, the transgression of the law, mm. uh, the law, the standard of living for us all. And I think that that is the very thing which the arch deceiver, Satan, is going to be attacking. He's not only attacked Christ, but he's, and it's gone over to his people now. He's going to be attacking them on the law. He's going to be attacking them on obedience to God and so on. And that's what I was going to point out. Thanks, Will, for uh, mentioning that the transgression of the law, because we like to use that free gift of choice so much that we like to do everything what we want, but not to listen to God and not to keep his commandments and crash that law, if it's possible, and have an excuse that did Jesus Wipe it off, that law which stood against us. Sin is present here because we are living by our own impulses rather than to listen to God. Satan deceived Eve and humanity by saying, if you sin, you won't die. I mean, it's a very popular belief that when a person dies, they go to paradise or somewhere and they live happily ever after, or if they go to hell, they they'll be tortured forever and ever and they're still alive there's no death in that so there was one lie and there's another lie too which stems from that and I'm adding to what you've said Nick and that's this that there is no law first he says there is no death and now he says there's no law so that means you can do pretty much whatever you like but that's not what the Bible says and the Apostle Paul has said in various places, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle James, the Apostle John, all maintain that the law stands, and it has to. Otherwise, how do you define sin? It just becomes a nebulous nothing. Clearly, uh, Satan has been after not only Christ and the position of God, but he has, um, he has brought his temptations down to this earth to make it as difficult as possible. And he will be persecuting those that follow God and his laws. As we can see, the church through the period of time has uh, suffered tremendous persecution and trouble. And um, I read a statement which um, I'd like to share at this time, speaking about 1260 years of persecution against the church. These persecutions, uh, beginning under Nero, about the time of the martyrdom of Paul, continued with greater or less fury for centuries. You can see as after us that Christians were falsely accused of the most dreadful crimes and declared to be the cause of great calamities, famine, pestilence, and earthquake. As they became the objects of popular hatred and suspicion, informers stood ready for the sake of gain to betray the innocent. They were um, condemned as rebels, against the empire as foes of religion, pests to society, great numbers were thrown to wild beasts or burned alive in the amphitheater. And the reason why I'm reading this is to say that uh, anyone that wants to follow God closely will suffer persecution or suffer re rejection or um, will be shouldered out of society in many ways because of their stance for, for right. Right is not always popular, as we can experience today. But God has always preserved a remnant to follow him.
He's always through the ages had people that will stand for Christ uh, and Christ alone. Following on from that, the gospel is good news. The good news that although we have sinned in that we've broken God's law, through faith in what Christ did for us at the cross, we can be forgiven our sins for our transgression of his law. Also, we've been given the power to obey that law fully and completely. So this is the love of God, the love for God to obey his commandments and keep his requirements, his decrees and his laws. So the law and the gospel, they focus on Jesus' grace towards us. Perhaps I should ask the question at this juncture, how can we show others that obedience to the law is not legalism? To obey God, is that being narrow? I have an answer, Will. And I rub shoulders with some people like this. I ask them, do you steal? No. Do you take the name of God in vain? No. Do you commit adultery? No. Do you honour your father and mother? Yes. Well, I say to them, aren't you being a legalist by keeping God's law? I want to read to you a text from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 19. I only came across this text fairly recently. It says, I'll give the reference again. You can check it up yourself. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 19. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. And then it says, keeping God's commandments is what counts. And I will just uh, answer also with another illustration. If you're going to get uh, married, you'll put a very good uh, face, you know, towards your uh, future partner, you know, and uh, everything to look good, keeping the laws, do all things good. And after you get married, you chuck all of them out because you you don't need them anymore. And I'm just thinking that, yes, we can be legalistic if we, we, if we go that way to try to impress God or impress people around us and do the right things, but not having in our heart the desire to follow God. But on the other hand, if we really love God and uh, know God and have a relationship with God, then the keeping of his commandments and statutes and laws it's just a natural thing to happen. And that's why we express we cannot be Christians and not to keep the law because we will be afraid to be categorized legalists. I think you just hit the nail on the head then, Nick. Legalism is when you're actually doing it out of a duty. Whereas you were mentioning about the love of God. If we do, we keep his commandments. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If it's out of love, it's the motives of the heart, isn't it? And from where I'm sitting, that doesn't necessarily make you a legalist. In fact, Helen, that uh, First John 5 verse 3 says, This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. But notice what it says, And his commandments are not burdensome. It becomes a natural thing for us to want to serve God out of heart and to obey his, his uh, commandments and his will for our lives. It's not a drudgery. It's not a legalism. It's interesting you mentioned that text, Will, because I was going to read it too, but I want to add this. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, there are people who say, yeah, that's okay, I'm happy with that. 
But the Ten Commandments are often described as God's commandments. And I would like to read those verses, or another verse from what you were reading. It's from 1 John chapter 5 and verses 2 and 3. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. And then the verse that we'll read, this is love for God to obey his commands and his commands are not grievous. And I've heard it said before and it's my experience. I keep the commandments not in order to be saved. I keep the commandments in appreciation of what God has done and because I am saved. Mm -hmm. Yes, wonderful. I'd like us to read Revelation uh, 12 verses 9 to 12. Stephen, would you like to read that for us? Revelation 12, verses 9 to 12. I think it puts the whole controversy, the whole struggle with sin into wonderful perspective because we can look beyond the sufferings and the trouble of this, this time to a wonderful salvation at the end of time. Revelation 12, verses 9 to 12. So verse 9 starts off, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. The warning right at the end of that text is applicable, but of course they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And I think that that is some, that's a commission for the way that we should live today. Clearly the church has through the years, um, the faithful of God has gone through some difficult times. And um, I recall there's a statement which uh, I'd like to share at this time. So long as all created beings acknowledge the, the allegiance of love, there is perfect harmony throughout the universe of God. It was the joy of the heavenly host to fulfill the purpose of their creator. They delighted in reflecting his glory and showing forth his praise. And while love to God was supreme, love for one another was confiding and unselfish. Hmm. There was no note of discord to mark, mar the celestial harmonies, but a change came over this happy state. There was one who perverted the freedom that God had granted to his creatures. Sin originated with him who, next to Christ, had been most, the most honored of God. And so it is he that became the adversary. And, uh, but Jesus Christ has offered the solution, the penultimate freedom to all of humankind if we would but love and trust in his provision for us. Of course, the question we need to ask is, do we have the presence of Jesus in our life today? Well, that because that makes a difference in the way that you live from day to day. And I think it's a question that... Uh, is not only important for me, it's an important thing that I need to encourage in my own family, amongst my friends, live out the life of Christ, the disposition of Christ, the love of Christ, so that others may see 
that there is more in this world than just turmoil and sin and difficulty. So are there any consequences involved? I mean, it's great to live for Christ and enjoy the freedom and peace and so on, but are there any sort of long-term consequences? First of all, we were talking about the cosmic controversy, and we are part of that. Uh, affects us every moment of our lives. One thing which I would like to point out is this. The good news is that one day it will not only end, but it will end with the total victory of Christ over Satan. The even better news is that because of the completeness of what Jesus did on the cross, all of us can share in the victory. Finally, as part of the victory, God calls us to faith and obedience as we await all that we have been promised in Jesus, whose coming is soon. I love books with happy endings, and mm. I believe the Bible has an extremely happy ending. You know, I've read the last part, and God wins. Mm. And to me, that's just amazing. Something to look forward to, to be with him for eternity. I'd like to thank our panel for talking about this important subject. Of course, sin can so dominate our lives that uh, we, it can overwhelm us. But uh, there is, beyond all of this perplexity, a great hope, a great light, a great future, and a great promise in Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's to this promise and hope that we live our lives. Thank you very much for being with us again today. Uh, and. Uh, also, I would like to thank our uh, panel here for um, coming uh, together to open the Bible and to find some answers to these uh, sometimes very difficult questions uh, which uh, many of us may, may have through our lives. Uh, I wish you God's blessing as you go through the week and uh, I would like you to invite you to come and visit us uh, to be part of one of these discussions live. And uh, Stephen just gave you some uh, indication where you can uh, come and be part of uh, these Bible studies. Until next time, I will encourage each one of you to keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus and be prepared for the end time. May God bless you. Mm -hmm.